Mana 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 this is Social Disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find your, excuse me, find ourselves. I am your host, Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is a comedy writer, actor, and podcaster who has written for the comedy Bang Bang TV show and the seasonally relevant Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day special. And who most recently wrote for the animated shows Solar Opposites and Animaniacs, and who hosted the carb-friendly podcast, The Breadcast. Please welcome Joe Saunders. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you for being on. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the shout-out to the Michael Bolton podcast. I mean, it's now been several years, but it's always nice that it, since it came out, but it's always nice that it's kind of seasonally so relevant. Yeah, oh, it, no, it's, it really is so funny. I I was genuinely shocked, not that like time seems to mean anything anymore at this point in this last year, but that it was 2017. I could not believe that. It's crazy. That's crazy. Well, you know what I always like time it to is we were writing it during the 2016, the day of the 2016 election. Oh, that was okay. Last, that was our last day of writing. So we were, it was me and Ackerman and like the other guys working on it and we were like in the room and like watching like that like watching the election on tv and finishing up the script and they were about to start shooting i think like the next day so Dude, i always like think of that that's a hell of a benchmark to remember yeah. we also did a prank on ackerman where uh, all of the writers came dressed as trump one day <laughs> <laughs> we all like bought um like big blonde trump wigs and put on suits and big red ties and just like showed up uh, to work and then tell him we were going to do it. I don't know what the joke. I don't know what the joke was. The joke was we were just wanted to see him react to us all being dressed alike. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think it was maybe the joke was that that we coordinated uh, in yeah. our off hours, right? Yeah. What was his response to that? Uh, well, he, he, he stared at us uh, <laughs> for a long time, and he made us feel embarrassed. <laughs> his his response uh, was genuine confusion. Yeah. Fair. Uh, and then he took a bunch of photos of us, which was fun. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a nice little win. A wee bit of uh, catharsis, Pro- mm-hmm. maybe maybe pre-catharsis in a way, knowing that, you know, the joke was both uh, on him, but on all of us in some ways, too. So there's that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So 2017. So, yeah, this will be, yeah, several years. But. It, it's very, very funny. And uh how did that come about? I know that you were also a producer on it, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Well, we had just finished. So I worked on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show for a couple years or uh, I guess three years. And that had finished up earlier in the year, um, I guess 2016 or so. And then uh, one day I just got an email from Scott or I, I just got an email from Ackerman saying like, hey, are you available? I have something starting up. And he gave me no other details except that. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he goes, great. Uh, here's like the address. We'll like start on Monday. <laughs> It'll be a job for six weeks or something like that. And I knew nothing. That was all. This is like, I knew nothing else about it. Um, and I got there and it was like me and the rest of the comedy Bang Bang staff, or at least the other staff. We had a few other people that had gone on to other jobs, but the other ones who weren't employed at the time. And it was him and Akiva Shaver from the Lonely Island. And he was like, so we've uh, sold this thing to Netflix called Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day Special, and it's going to be a comedy special starring Michael Bolton. <laughs> and that's pretty much all we know. 
we uh, we have the title, and we know Michael Bolton's going to star in it. Uh, so we got that's a hell of a start. That's a hell <laughs> of a start. <laughs> yeah, and so which was very funny to you know usually you have like at least some concept of like a story or like a I don't know the types of stuff you're going to do or anything, but they didn't have any of that. It was just like totally just basically a funny title and the fact that it was like Scott Ackerman and the Lonely Island guys and they figured they could figure it out. And yeah, so we just started writing sketches and it came together. It, well, it turned out to, I mean, to be a genuine delight. I thought it was so funny. Oh, thanks. And uh, I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen it. And again, my brain, it feels like it's pretty much the consistency and probably intelligence level of mashed potatoes at this point. But <laughs> it, uh, but I, the, you know, I remember cat bits and Eric Andre summarily losing his shit at one point. Oh, and yeah. That was fun. Very memorable. Very yeah, memorable. Eric Andre was so funny on that. And that was like him just, I think he had, that was the, the kind of thing where we had written like a like pretty detailed scripted segment for him. Uh, but then he just comes in and like he's so funny and he can just improvise and starts doing his thing. And yeah, that was great. Eric Andre is so funny. I remember Rosario, Rosario Dawson uh, was with him that day, I guess. Yeah, they were dating at the time, I think. Yeah, right? they were dating. Uh, yeah, I guess before pre-Cory Booker, she started dating. <laughs> what a twosome. It is wild. <laughs> it is <laughs> Very funny to go from Eric Andre to Cory Booker. <laughs> I know. I know. I couldn't think of two more diametrically opposed personalities, seemingly. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe uh, Cory Booker's got some of that in him. That's That'd be fascinating. That'd be fascinating yeah. if he if he had a dramatic, impressive, over the top birthday every year. Yeah, yeah. Andre style. He just goes wild sometimes and starts like singing <laughs> and taking off his clothes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, probably, you know, probably, you know, politician, the politician side of him. But I tell you what, when I mean, he gets a few rupees in him, he gets wild. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. I guess we'll, we don't know. It'll, or, well, maybe that'll come out at some point. <laughs> Man, Cory Booker's kind of a wild card. It's really wild. He should he should have an adult swim show. <laughs> Look, I don't know what that would be, but I would watch whatever that is, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I mean, what a what an unfair question. And we talked about the question itself, but I'm gonna preface it and still end up asking it. So let's just go ahead and do it. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were talking about how this is a tough question to answer, but yeah, I'm doing, I think I'm doing uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles here uh, live with my wife and our cat and we're healthy and we're working and for us, things are good. I mean, it gets, yeah. I don't know. Now I'm talking too long about it. No, you're not. No, <laughs> but congrats. First of all, congratulations. I, you got married, I believe during all of this. That, that's right. Yes. You got so, married. Uh, we got married last uh, April um or april or may yeah we originally had a wedding plans and then we had to cancel it so we just got married uh we got basically like a courthouse marriage which they were in la here they were doing a thing in orange county which is the county just like where disneyland is yeah and we got married they were doing uh, parking lot weddings in the parking lot of the honda center which is the hockey stadium where the anaheim ducks play and so we got married like at a basically a booth <laughs> that is wow is that, it's funny, I wanted to say the word eloped, but I'm like, I don't think that's what that is, but I also don't necessarily know what that means. So I guess, yeah, a courthouse wedding is just a more of a, a no frills kind of ceremony, if that may, is that right? I guess? Yes, I guess in my, to me, that's defined as like, you can make these appointments with like, okay, 
the, I don't forget what the department, the registrar's office or something, the county registrar's office. And they'll just, you know, you just go down there and they will, there's like a civil servant who will just read a thing to you and kind of does like a little ceremony. And it's very quick and easy. And you have like one, you have like one, you bring like one person with you as a witness. Okay. So it's like, yeah, it's checking all of the boxes that make it a legal and binding marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think of elopements. I mean, I guess you could, that would be a way to, you can, I'm sure you can do that as an elopement. Uh, I always think of elopements as like the kind of the Vegas wedding. That's true. Uh, Yeah. But I guess you can do whatever. It's run away secretly in order to get married, especially without parental consent. What? Ah, oh, okay. So that's like if you don't tell anyone, you're de- you're like you're yeah. it's a surprise to your family. You're like, guess what, guys? We all got married. <laughs> we all got married. Uh, we did it. Yes, Not going to explain what it is, but we did it. We did it. <laughs> that okay? That's good to know. I I mean, I don't know if it's good to know, but I know it now. So that's good. It might come in handy one day. You never know. Hey, you know what? If I ever want to elope, now I know how to do it right. So that's good. <laughs> That's step one, I think, to elopement is knowing what it is. This is one. This is like my 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 one professional question. And let me preface it by saying professional, and then you hear what the question is. But amidst 2020, we had many things happening. Obviously, COVID being a major one. If and by major, I mean the one. But also, there was like a weird, almost inexplicable bread craze of people <laughs> baking things. And of course, you have the breadcast. The question is. Did you bake something or was like, well, this is my normal life of bakery, so you didn't? I, you know, this is interesting. Uh, well, I don't, actually, it's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes. So my podcast I've done a few episodes of is called The Breadcast Where I Bake Stuff. And if I was a smart person, uh, I would have taken advantage of that craze where everyone was at home baking and done more episodes of my podcast. <laughs> But I could never quite get there, but I was baking at home um, and I got, I, like everyone else, kind of got back into making like, or got more into making sourdough bread and was really doing that a lot. Is a sourdough bread more difficult to make than a, a quote unquote regular bread or is it just a different process? Yes, I, th- I think it's more difficult. I'm, you know, totally approaching this stuff as an amateur, approaching any kind of baking as an amateur yeah. and really an untalented amateur. So... <laughs> For me, it was very difficult. I think kind of the big difference with sourdough bread is that you have to basically make your own yeast. Okay. Like like with other kinds of bread, you can buy, you know, the little packets of yeast at the grocery store. But this one, like, you kind of make it yourself just using, like, flour and water and letting it, like, develop over time. And then yeah. that can be kind of a delicate thing to work with. So it, it took me a long – I'm kind of getting okay at it. But it's taken me – it's been, like, I've been working at it for, like – few years now i'm trying to make something that looks good and is edible i love a sourdough i don't eat i don't really i don't know if it's like maybe that it's not made as much over here i'm in arkansas mm-hmm. but i i love it anytime i have it i just don't get it very often yeah i'm the same way i i love it too and never like yeah i grew up in georgia and i felt like didn't really encounter it very much until maybe in the last like i guess like since i've been in college but yeah, I love it. And I don't know, it, for some reason, it kind of like scratches a weird itch for me in terms of like a very specific challenge that is kind of difficult, but is like achievable. And I don't know, for some reason, I've kept like trying it and making it and trying to get better at it and watching videos of it. And 
also seeing other people like making them over the last year was kind of inspiring and wanting wanted because I was like, oh, I really got to try to get good at this. <laughs> You're like, wow, if these people that had no pre-COVID interest in baking and bread are doing it, then now I got to I got to get going, too. I got to up my timeline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> everyone is so much better at this than me. <laughs> and I've been doing I've been trying to make one for like two years. I have a titular cast about this. I've got to now get better at this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe an issue with the pot with with my titular cast uh, <laughs> that I'm not good at this stuff. Well, I was re-listening to because I'd listened to the episodes before, but I was re-listening to the episode with the knife with the oh, with the cornbread that you made. That the cornbread sounded really good, especially with the added element of, I guess the. Bacon or the bacon grease, I guess. The bacon grease, was. yeah. Oh my god, I haven't. Have I? I don't know if I've made that recently. Yeah, I made cornbread with. I made bacon. I made bacon in like a cast iron skillet, and there was a bunch of grease. And you use the leftover grease to make cornbread in the same skillet. That sounds amazing. So it was so good. I used to eat that all the time as a kid. It's so bad for you. <laughs> well, that that does remind me of a. I mean, it's a different thing, a biscuit, but there's a place here that makes. It's part of like their Sunday brunch whenever I don't I hope they don't do it now. I don't know what they do, but mm-hmm. it's a Sunday brunch thing and it's just one thing you can order is just a biscuit. And it's like two biscuits and they are giant and fluffy and it has got so much butter in it. It's gotta take like five years off your life. It is so bad for you. But it's really difficult to beat, I guess, because it's so over-the-top, uh, absurdly um, indulgent, but it's so good. And stuff like that, I can't eat it a lot because of that factor, and I feel like I feel every ounce of every calorie when I do that. But, man, it's really hard to beat when you have that good. Yeah, oh, I love, I love like, those, like, kind of southern-style biscuits that I always associate, like, my great-aunt's making or my dad making or, like, that sort of thing. Oh, so good. And hard to, <laughs> very hard to find in California. <laughs> Does something like that. I imagine, although from what uh, I gather, just as a, an outsider who listens to, I don't know, maybe a hundred podcasts that are all from the <laughs> California area, that it does feel like it feels like California has a really just really impressive, diverse, and pretty damn good uh, food scene over there. Yeah, it's yeah, there definitely is. It's funny there are those. Yeah, they I supposedly you know we have like this amazing like all these like great like ethnic foods, like the big like Chinese cuisine and like obviously like huge like Mexican cuisine and all these like big fancy chefs and stuff. But we, there's like certain things that at least like I had growing up there, I don't see like we don't have, wa- there's no waffle houses out here and you can't find like kind I of love the equivalent house. of a waffle. There's not even like the equivalent of a waffle house. That's um, surprising. Yeah. Cause I feel like that would be, I don't know. I feel like uh, at the very least, something indulgent like that would be kind of a nice answer to a lot of, you know, healthy eating and different options. Just like to have just that awful for you indulgent meal. I feel like that has a place there. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish I, I wonder if I could ever get my act together and get some money. If I could like open up some waffle houses out here, I feel like I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even like I know it's a fast food thing, but like I remember hearing and people were talking about it in real time. I think it was probably on Doughboys when that first Chick-fil-A opened and there oh, was yeah. like a line down the block for that thing. And it was it was like a moment over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a bunch of Chick-fil-A's out here. I imagine. You know, anytime I think about Waffle House, not that I'm thinking about it a lot, but, you know, every day when I think when I wake up and I think about Waffle House, I think about how um, I remember reading a story, especially with relation to Florida and hurricanes. And they said something like an unofficial kind of... Um, indicator of how bad they think a hurricane is going to be is that 
if the Waffle House of a certain area closes down, that tells you it's going to be very, very bad because otherwise they stay open through thick and thin. Yes, I you, I love that. I, I've heard this before. I think it's called the Waffle House Index. Oh, okay. Or okay. something like that. I, I, I've heard that. Yes, that's so great. I think it's, I love it. Oh, yeah, no, this, okay, I didn't realize how bona fide this was. Okay, the Waffle House Index, you're 100% right, is an informal metric named after Waffle House restaurant chain and is used by FEMA to determine, wow, this is way more official than I thought, to determine the effect of a storm and the likely scale of assistance required for disaster recovery. Wow, okay. That's great. They should, like, license this out for other areas, like, put some in Hawaii for, like, typhoon indicators or something. Yeah. Get that that out there, that's their brain. I guess you just got to figure out what like the local thing, <laughs> what the local thing is. The taco truck indicator or the In-N-Out Burger indicator for California. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what what could be used to indicate possible like earthquake situations. I guess I don't know what what all California has that needs these kind of indicators. That I, unfortunately, I guess like wildfires, maybe. Well, this right. one's dark. Wildfire, wildfires, mudslides, earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. We can each one can have its own indicator. Okay, good. Need to franchise this out. Everybody, every made certain franchise of a certain nature and size gets its disaster. So that's good. Mm-hmm. That's something these restaurants and brands definitely, definitely want to be associated with. So that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Okay. Sorry to go back to this, but there are levels. It says the index has three levels based on the extent of operations and service. At the restaurant following a storm. The levels are, oh, this is fair enough, green, yellow, and red. Green, full menu. Restaurant has power and damage is limited, limited or no damage at all. Yellow, limited menu. No power or only power from a generator or food supplies may be low. Red, the restaurant is closed, indicating severe damage, severe flooding, or a pandemic. What? There's a pandemic element to it? Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Man, you know, maybe our branding for bad situations and restaurants and and brands, maybe that's already been, maybe they already did it all. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what they you know what they should do for that wobble. Those should be those labels should be something like smothered, covered. <laughs> yes, yes. Um whatever a third thing is. <laughs> smothered, Basically. covered, chunked, diced. There's yes. Like all kinds of them at this point. <laughs> Green, yellow, and red. Yeah, you know, for for such a borderline ingenious and or sociopathic move on their part, green, yellow, and red is not very it's not very impressive. Yeah, you know, sometimes when you're like coming up with an idea for something, the the last part you think of, you just kind of phone it in. <laughs> yeah, that definitely the red, yellow, uh, green, yellow, and red feels like first draft, last draft. So right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess they all can't be winners at this point. That's it. That's very. I didn't realize how detailed that was either. That's cool. Yeah, this Wikipedia page is. Well, the fact that it exists is surprising. Let alone that it's got. We got in their little table of contents. We got multiple. We got description. We got other usages in media. Even and there's a lot going on here. I gotta close this. I can't stop looking at it. It what through all this, by the way. Like, have you um have you been able to stay busy, quote unquote, during this? I think I this is, I I've been wondering about this because I think I have but I'm not totally sure or I don't know some days I think that I've been able to stay busy and productive and other days I'm like I'm really having a, what have I accomplished yeah <laughs> over the past year um, well I've been very lucky to been able to keep working like 
I've been working, I'm still working on uh, the show, this Hulu show Solar Opposites, which I've been on for a couple of years. And so that has, we were able to kind of just transition to work from home and doing Zoom stuff, doing stuff over Zoom for that. So that's been nice. And I've been able to, you know, keep like writing and doing stuff that way. And I feel like in addition to that, like just the other writing, I mean, I'm a writer. So like I'm pretty much everything I'm working on is some kind of writing project. So I feel like I've been kind of able to keep doing those. I don't know. It's like hard. It's hard to. It, it is a weird question that I've like, oh, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, it's not a weird question, but. But I know, but it's, it's a difficult one to answer because like, I get, you know, I guess like, first of all, like, what does it mean to be productive in general, let alone, but especially within a pandemic and you're trying to define what it is to be productive because you want to be fair to yourself because you don't want to feel like you're beholden to being that because you have to, like, there's so much going on. You have to be able to process this shit too. Right. Right. I think I have been, I'm pretty, I've always been somebody when it comes to being left to my own devices, I can be pretty productive and can focus and work and write stuff when I need to. Uh, So I've always been good at that. And so it's kind of a thing I'm comfortable with and I'm used to. So being stuck at home and having to write stuff was not a totally new situation for me. Yeah. Well, and and even with, I would imagine with animation, that it, Mm -hmm. you know, not having to be on a set like a live action thing or any other shows, they're far more, less of a, it feels like a, a, like a, a far easier transition for something of that nature than oh, pretty yeah. much any other sort in entertainment. Yeah, totally. It was really impressive on, because on the show I'm on now, like were they were able to, I think they missed, I don't know if they even like shut down for like a week. They just moved everyone home and they moved everyone's computers home. Even the, like the artists and the animators were just able to, they're able to transition all of that stuff to people's homes and keep working even like the actor they record you know the actors for the show and they now just they send everyone like fancy microphones and recording you know home re- home recording booth setup type things oh wow that was really impressive i thought and how quickly that happened and yeah and also like a fortunate thing that because i had other friends that work in like uh, like live action shows that totally got like shut down and who knows when they're gonna be able to shoot and who knows what it's gonna be like when you can be on set with like hundreds of people and everyone's close together. And I don't know, it was, you know, much more uh, hard to know how that was all going to play out. Absolutely. Um, you know, like um, I have, to, I've talked to people, you know, in, in various positions on, sure. on sets and just the way that they've dramatically restructured them and, and, and streamlined them to some degree. But then I've talked to people who are on the acting side, who are auditioning for things and how that's changed. And through the prism of the entertainment industry, there's been a lot of, stuff seemingly that is dramatically changed or just become more efficient in general. But the animated side though, feels like it's a much more natural transition comparatively. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was, it, I think it was like pretty, pretty smooth. At least as, as far as that stuff goes. So I was like, my wife also works. My wife is also an animation writer and it was like the same for her where they were, they were able to like kind of transition all that stuff to, to home pretty easily. That's pretty awesome. But to, also though, yeah, as a writer, I guess, I guess, well, I guess it depends on probably, and this is a question, the type of show, but were you normally like writing from home like that or was it more like a writer's room situation? Uh, it always, every show is different in yeah. kind of how they, you know, what they want from you as a writer and kind of how it works. On Solar Opposites, it's very much like room, like we're in like a group room and we're all like talking about stuff and we break everything down like as a group. Like everything okay. is basically, you know, you're in a meeting all day long, uh, which is very, which is a thing that I love about the job. I love being in a writer's room with like other funny, smart people and just like talking about story and jokes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for that show, it was, you know, 
it was a transition to suddenly go from that from us all together all day long to like everyone being at home and on like a zoom call which is a very different dynamic yeah i imagine too like being in the room and yeah you know like riffing and doing everything else but also feeding off that mutual energy goes a long way toward the energy of it but also just joking and being around each other and that's obviously a much different thing on a zoom yes you know, there's a funny thing that's like kind of hard to explain, but like, well, I, I don't know, this is like anytime like you're with your friends or anything and like you're all like joking around and sometimes, or like if you're like all out at a bar and like talking, sometimes there'll be like weird like lulls in the conversation where everyone will get like quiet, Yeah. you know? And like, that's the thing that happens in comedy writers rooms a lot, especially where like everyone's like pitching jokes and being funny and like doing little bits and like jumping around and <laughs> dancing. And then you'll just have moments where like kind of the energy will just like drop and everyone or like if you hit like a tough thing or like a tough story thing or you're something difficult you're trying to figure out, like everyone will get really quiet and it'll just be silent. Yeah. And do that on Zoom is especially has that is like so awkward. <laughs> well, part of you also be like, did you cut out? Yeah. You know, like, is it is it just that that naturally happened or is this a technological issue? Right, exactly. And so it's getting used to that and then or like it being quiet and someone being like, is everyone still there? <laughs> I imagine there's an absolute adjustment to what this new approximation of this dynamic is. Yes, exactly. It's been, it's been like figuring out like how you have those kind of meetings or how you have like a big conversation with everyone, like how you have a conversation with like 12 people all on a Zoom that's like kind of free flowing and funny and you know, trying to be creative, but also like Zoom only lets really like one person talk at a time. Yeah. Well, and also when you have potentially connections that are of 12 different strengths that you're uh -huh. trying to, <laughs> to do that. And it's like, uh, well, I can imagine that just murders comedic timing potentially. Yeah. Uh, I always blame uh, whenever one of my jokes uh, goes <laughs> badly, which is, you know, rare. <laughs> uh, I blame it on the Zoom connection. I blame it the technology i don't know that's like a thing i just love being in a room with people like that's like the funnest thing it's just like you know that's why i like being writers because it's like being with your friends and just joking around all day so i miss that a lot that's fair i imagine that's that's very difficult to beat i would imagine just being silly together yeah when i first moved to los angeles after college when i first moved to los angeles i did like knew i wanted to be a writer and i'm like a comedy writer i guess but i didn't know what that job was yeah really and I then got a job as a production assistant on a TV show and I like saw what a, like a TV writer's room was. And I was like, Oh my God, this, and it's just like a group of people all sitting around, like trying to be funny and like sometimes wasting time, sometimes being productive. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this seems like the most fun. This is exactly what I want to do. It seems once I saw that in action, I was like, Ooh, this is, this is what I, this is, this is my thing. What was the last movie you saw in the theater? I saw, well, my friend had a birthday party. The last thing I saw in the theater was Fargo back in 1996. <laughs> uh, my friend had a birthday party and uh, his girlfriend rented out, a, rented out a small theater and we all watched Fargo, which is his favorite movie. And that was like only a couple weeks before they shut down movie theaters or kind of before this stuff happened. Wow. But then, uh, so Fargo was like the last thing. But then the last, the, the movie I saw before, the new movie I saw before that was, um, what's it called? It's called like a Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, that's a hell of a choice. I love that movie. Yeah, I did too. I can't imagine the theater experience of that because I just saw it on Hulu whenever they released that. Right. And just even on a small, a relative small screen anyway, that movie was like indescribably powerful. So I can't imagine the theater experience. Yeah, I really, yeah, it was, that was a great theater movie. The music and that's so good. The cinematography is so good. 
Well, I mean, that just is a perfect description of the movie that I told you before this that I saw, Cats. I mean, the music was so good. <laughs> cinematography was so good. The, the, the uh, dancing. Yeah. The visual, oh, the visual effects were unparalleled. And that could be good or bad unparalleled. But clearly it's the best. And the dancing roaches that I'm pretty sure happened, but I'm still not sure about that. What a wild time at the movies. You know, it's just kind of the two, the two sides of the cinema experience. Cats and Portrait <laughs> of a Lady on Fire. Ah, yes, the duality of cinema. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's why we love the medium, you know. It, it encompasses all of these things. We we love the movies, don't we, folks? Because <laughs> the, last, the last two movies I saw at the theater, and this is in no way representative of truly how much I love and cherish the movie experience. The last two movies I saw at the theater, and hopefully not ever at this point, Cats, and prior to that, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I was going through something that I didn't even know about, apparently. And, uh, man, what a way to go out. God. God. That should be, like, uh, Stephen King should, like, re- should update The Stand. And, like, the early <laughs> chapters of The Stand are all about, like, the end, like, you know, shit going down. And that should be, somebody should be <laughs> in a theater watching The Rise of Skywalker and Cats. <laughs> I like the, I liked the idea, too, of, like, somebody seeing those two movies. And it, without any kind of, like, comment on it, it just completely distills how much they don't see what's coming, coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's with the sign. The signs were all there. We, nobody was <laughs> looking back on it. People, people in the future will be like, "How did everyone? How isn't everyone prepared for this?" <laughs> like, like I know this is a movie, and it's a sci-fi movie at that, and it's very dystopian. But this is deeply unrealistic. Nobody would see those two movies in general, let alone one that purports themselves to be a film lover. So, I mean, this is impossible. Yeah. As I'm like cowering in the fetal position in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is yeah. A lot of this can be traced back to Rise of Skywalker. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I think that is patient zero. Yeah, it's Ray being told she's a Palpatine. That was the moment. <laughs> oh boy, I will never see that movie again, <laughs> ever. I've fired it up on uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus now. I've fired it up on Disney Plus a couple times just to be like, oh, look at this thing. <laughs> <Isn't> that- <laughs> <laughs> yep yep there's that again and i get it a few minutes into it and i'm just like oh my god i can't not necessarily always because of what's on screen but just because of like my emotions attached to it and like all kinds of stuff <laughs> my knowledge of what's coming i feel like this is semi-related uh, in that i guess it was a, a choice that i didn't realize was maybe questionable but i saw i rewatched um uh, peter jackson's king kong movie Mm-hmm. a couple days ago and first of all it really holds up very well it's it's a really good movie but what i didn't realize or remember at all was that it's three hours long oh yeah yeah i had no recollection of that whatsoever and i saw that in the theater when it came out i had no idea yes i remember i haven't seen it since in the theater but i yeah i remember it being so long and on top of that though not knowing it was three hours long i also it was the extended cut <laughs> so it was <laughs> 13 minutes longer. But I did it under the auspices of, I guess in my brain, well, this isn't a three-hour movie already. And it was it, it was 13 minutes longer because I guess uh, so many unanswered questions, question mark. It's a very long movie, but it, it's also a lot of fun. It really holds up well. I remember liking it a lot. I remember like every section of that movie like feeling like they were cramming so many... Cramming, cramming so much plot into all the different sections, like them on the boat going to the islands. 
is yes. I feel like really there's a lot of stuff that happens or maybe I don't remember them on the boat feels like that's like a whole movie where there's like don't they try to overthrow the captain <laughs> and like there's, there's like, a look there is a lot happening honestly before the boat on the boat there's like seven movies happening on that island there is yeah. so much happening it's a lot like I, I feel like uh in a way a part of me is like wondering was Peter Jackson like look I'm used to making three three hour long movies so I'm just gonna get everything out for what may be the length of a trilogy for King Kong in one movie by doing a three hour. I guess he just couldn't help himself. Like the idea of a of a hundred minute movie seemed impossible to him at that point. Yes. The original King Kong is like only I think only like eighty five minutes or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah, like it's it's short. It's very lean and mean. Yeah. So God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Now I'm intrigued to rewatch King, the Peter Jackson King Kong. They should have the Peter Jackson King Kong show up and fight uh, Godzilla versus Kong. I would watch that in the new the new ones. See, and Skull that's why I that's why I've been watching or rewatching both canonical Kong and or Godzilla movies and non canonical because uh, I you know I've not gone back and rewatched that like 2014 or whatever Godzilla one that started it all. Yeah, because I it's very it's deeply unfun. But I rewatched like Skull Island and I rewatched the Godzilla King and the Monsters. But then I also just last night watched, which has no ties to this quadrilogy or whatever, uh, Shin Godzilla, which is amazing. It's so oh, good. I want to see Shin. I was actually just reading about Shin Godzilla. I've never seen that, but I really want to see that. Isn't that the Neon Genesis guy? I think so. Yes, I, I believe so. I've seen all of it's the, so good. Evangelion and I'm very interested to watch. I got to watch that. Maybe I might watch that today. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I watched it last night and then I finished, finished it this morning. Honestly, the 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 only like semi succinct thing I can describe, like sum it up as is it just kicks so much ass. It's so good. Oh, I that's love awesome. It. That's super yeah. cool. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what this uh, this new you know epic event this showdown is going to be. I think at this point it's going to be like they fight each other for a little bit, but then they have to team up to defeat a. Mecha Godzilla or something. Yes, I think I think it's what's gonna happen, right? But my my favorite thing though, which is like that everybody's just like, well, there's no way Kong can beat Godzilla because Kong's not big enough. But then in Skull Island, they made it a point of John C. Riley saying like, he's just a teenager, he's still growing. So like they knew, <laughs> they they knew that in that movie he was he like, we can't make him too big because then then this island won't be big enough for all the comparably big things he has to fight within the movie. So we'll just say. He's gonna, he's a teenager, and then he'll be big enough to fight Godzilla, you know, five years and three movies away from now or whatever. That was really smart. Um, <laughs> that yeah, that just having it. He's a teenager. <laughs> exactly. Like John C. Riley must have been paid so handsomely and rightfully so, and then he has to say the line, "He's just a teenager." It's so funny. I hope they got a few different options for that in case they wanted to figure out how big they want to make Kong later on. Like they'd be like. He's actually just a baby. <laughs> He's just a toddler. He's just a preteen. He'll be fighting a Galactus in like five years. <laughs> Larger than the whole planet. They're going to have some weird like inter IP crossover of like King Kong versus him on, on Mars fighting. Honestly, I say that I would watch that. I don't know what that would be. That does sound very good. I think that, we sounds, that sounds entertaining. Yeah. I mean, we're at the whatever mark at this point, but. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, what all of the things you have going on? I know you said Solar Opposites, which I know is on Hulu. Do you want to uh, point people toward before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't even know. Uh, there's a new season of Solar Opposites coming out, I think, uh, March 26th, season two. Oh, nice. 
um, and they'll put, yeah, there's, I think, seven or eight episodes. Yeah, seven or eight new episodes uh, all on Hulu. So uh, I really, I, I have a lot of fun working on that show. I think it's really funny. So uh, I hope people check that out. Stellar Opposites on Hulu, which is also the home of the aforementioned Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So there's that. Double feature. Right Double there. feature. <laughs> A natural double feature, just like my natural one-two death combo final visit of the theater of Rise of Skywalker and Cats. <laughs> a natural pairing, if I've ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for doing this. This was so fun. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a great job. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please take care. Please wear a mask and practice empathy because God knows we need it. Take care. Goodbye.